So uh, Richard and I are here today to talk to you a little bit about Pride. It's been Pride Month, uh, the month of June, and as the month comes to a close, uh, Richard and I got to chatting earlier this week and we had some reflections that we thought we'd like to share with you all. So um, a little bit about myself. My name is Mark O'Grady. I'm one of the trainer facilitators who've been working at Berndine now. Would you believe, Richard, for over two years? It was two years and a month this That's, year. That doesn't seem possible. That's gone yeah. fast. Time flies. Where does it go? So I've been at Berndine for about two years. And prior to that, I was working independently as um, a mental health first aid instructor uh, for about two years prior. The 18 years leading up to that, I worked in the private sector, predominantly publishing. I had what I call my speed wobble with mental health, which led me to where I am today. I retrained as an instructor, qualified around 2017, and I've been doing this ever since. And it's been hugely rewarding. I love what I do. Um, and working with Berndine equally has been very rewarding. So, um, yeah, that's a little bit about me. Over to you, Richard. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Richard Thompson. Uh, I'm an associate director at Berndine. Um, I've been at Berndine, can you believe it, for seven years now. That uh, also seems to have flown by. Uh, I, I mean, a bit about my background. So I, I have quite a potted background. I was uh, I started my working life in the Air Force, believe it or not. So I spent a couple of years uh, in the military. Uh, and then after that, I uh, came out of the Air Force and I requalified as a lawyer. So I worked as an employment lawyer for many years in private practice, mostly in the city. And uh, then I joined Berndine in 2014. So I've been here for seven years. Um, and my main role here is to look after new business. And I'm one of the uh, team, uh, sort of one of the core facilitators on the team as well. Fantastic. And I forgot to mention my coming out story. I think that's relevant for both of us as well. Could you tell us a little bit about your coming out story? Every, every one of us has one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And we all remember it well, don't we? Um, so I came out in 2001 was when I really started talking to my friends and my family about that. So I was a 22 year old back then. And uh, this is sort of shortly after I'd left the military, actually. And I thought, right, this, now's the time to do this. I need to, uh, I need to live my life the way I need to live it. Um, so I, I came up then. It wasn't an easy process. Um, you know, my parents found it quite a challenging thing. Um, but uh, it does feel like a long time ago now. And it does also feel like, you know, things have changed a lot since 2001. How about you, Mark? Yeah. Um, so I, I guess I was coming out to myself in my late teens, early 20s, uh, luckily had a small group of friends that were in a similar space. So we kind of stuck together and, and had some fun. That was our coming out together, if you like. But I didn't effectively come out to my family, uh, to my parents, until I was 30 years old. Would you believe that? Right, um, gosh. Partly to do with, I lived in the UK. I left home in my early 20s. So I wasn't living back in Ireland. Um, and I didn't really want to just arrive home one weekend, drop a bombshell and then disappear again. <laughs> never felt like there was the right time that was mm. part of the reason and I guess in hindsight maybe I was hanging on for for some reason maybe there was some internal stuff going on and anyway 30 felt like the right age and it happened and luckily I was very well supported at first there were some challenges too but on the whole very supported by my family and I think we're some of the luckier ones in that respect yeah absolutely absolutely yeah. um okay so for everyone who's listening why are we here today and as I mentioned at the beginning, we're, we're looking at Pride Month, really. And myself and Richard are, are both a little bit long on the tooth, I think it's fair to say. We've been around <laughs> for a few Prides over the years. And each year we see it getting bigger and bigger and better. Obviously, the past couple of years hasn't happened due to COVID. But um, there's a very real phenomenon well known within the LGBTQ plus community um, that's known as rainbow washing 
or pride tokenism? And how does it make us feel? And so we got chatting and, and personally, I have to say, I think my 14, 15 year old self, had I seen some of this stuff going on when I was a, a young lad growing up in a small town, in terms of brand recognition and all these employers appearing to stand shoulder to shoulder with, with the LGBT plus community, I would have loved that. But the slightly older version of me is quite cynical. Um, and I think there is a level of let's jump on this pride bandwagon, let's stick a rainbow flag on everything and let's all hold hands for the month of June. And then we kind of forget about it for a little while. And I'm not sure if that's enough. I think there's a lot more organizations could be doing other than you know, creating a £4.50 sandwich in MS, for example, whereby um, <laughs> they're calling it the rainbow flag sandwich. It's made up of rainbow colored food. Um, I know that when they launched that sandwich a couple of years ago, there was a real storm as a result of it. People were saying, you know, this is tokenism at its best. Even though MS pushed back and said, we're going to produce some funding, we're going to give about £10,000 to an LGBT focused charity. Um, but you can see why it would rub people up the yeah. wrong way. Yeah. Well, you know, that, what you said earlier about 15 year old, 14, 15 year old self seeing this visibility would have been fantastic. You know, I grew up in a small town in the northwest of England back in the 90s. And, you know, being gay was just a big no back then. It was such a taboo thing. So to have been able to see that would have been amazing. But like you, grown up me, there is a bit of cynicism attached to it. Uh, you, you see it in the supermarkets and the shops, the rainbow flags, all the produce starts coming out for June and it's great and it's nice and it's lovely. But there is that sort of voice in the back of your mind saying, well, is, is this just, you know, a commercial project rather than truly deeply wanting to support the LGBTQ plus community, whether that's in a workplace, whether that's in society more broadly. So, you know, on the one hand, I like the visibility. I think that does have a really positive message. But I agree with you. I think there's more that can be done. This shouldn't just be about a month. And I suppose where I sit on this, it feels a little bit like it's one of the calendar markers, you know, oh, it's Christmas. OK, so we need to do some Christmas stuff or now it's Easter. So now we do some Easter stuff and now it's Pride Month. So now we do our Pride Month stuff. Yeah. And then it is just sort of put back on the shelf until the following year. And of course, you know, <laughs> we, we don't stop being gay once June is over and uh, we need that ongoing support. So it's, it's a delicate balance and, you know, it, it's finding the spot where the support is visible. Um, of course, we're not saying that it needs to be overdone throughout the year, but uh, I think there are more initiatives that particularly employers can do to really demonstrate true support right throughout the calendar year for their LGBTQ plus community. And I think a lot of this stems for me to the fact that in the UK, huge progress has been made over the last couple of decades. I'll say, you know, compared to when I came out back in 2001 to where we are now, massive difference. I've been married, I've adopted two daughters, you know, I've had some amazing opportunities, things that I'm really appreciative of. And I notice and recognize the advancements that we've made, but I still think there's a lot of work to do. I still think there's a lot more that we could be doing because, uh, you know, I, I don't know about you, Mark, but personally, I still sadly experience some homophobia on the streets day to day and you know so I do still think there's more that can be done I don't know what 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 are you thinking have, have you had any recent experiences of homophobia Mark? Yeah you know it's it's sad but true that it still exists living in the UK in 2021 two grown men um, will probably have similar experiences as do lots of people within our community um, mm -hmm. 
you know, there was the, the playground stuff as a kid, which you expect. Kids can be cruel and we've all experienced that. But then as I moved through life, of course, bullying and microaggressions and homophobia, blatant homophobia were, were I wouldn't say a part of everyday life, but something I was always aware of. That stuff mm -hmm. that goes on as a kid gives you that thicker skin and you do become a bit more streetwise, I think, to it. So you're quite yeah. LGBT. Q plus inclusive community, uh, one of the biggest in the UK. And yet, I'd say we were here about two weeks, uh, me and my now husband, uh, we were walking home from the cinema. We'd met after work, so we we're both wearing suits. So for all sense and purposes, we were two men walking down the street together. We weren't holding hands and a car drove by. It was close to Halloween. And um, some kids hung out the window screaming obscenities and threw eggs at us. And uh, you know, the F word was used quite blatantly, mm -hmm. couple of fags, throw some eggs. Now, luckily they missed, but that was about a week or two into the new move to this lovely, shiny new place. And we thought, mm -hmm. wow, is this happening here right now? Um, fast forward a few years, I was walking home from a Sainsbury shop one afternoon. I had a bunch of flowers in my hand. Again, I wasn't skipping down the road in a pair of hot pants. I was just walking by myself with a bag of shopping in one hand, some flowers in the other. And again, a youth pulled down his window and screamed at the top of his lungs, you colorful language insert fag. Uh, and again, caught me off guard, really inappropriate, not anything I was doing other than just crossing by his car with these flowers in my hand. Um, and one of the most menacing experiences I've had was we landed in San Francisco a few years ago for a trip. And we were getting the train from the airport into the city. And I had a... a a guy just sit there pointing at me and my other half, pointing at us, laughing menacingly and calling us faggots under his breath continuously. And then he went and took his mobile phone out and started taking photographs of us on a train in San Francisco. Gosh, yeah, that's really unpleasant. Um, and luckily there was somebody sat next to us who, who kind of stood up for us. He was an ally, he was a local and he told this guy, you know, to back down and back off. This isn't what we do here. But it was very scary because mm. very out of our comfort zone as well. You know, you weren't in familiar territory. Um, so, yeah, quite a bit. And then I mentioned microaggressions over the years, even within friendship groups. People use throwaway comments that they think are OK. I've been told in the past I don't really like gay people, but you're OK. You're all right. Um, you know, <laughs> and you, kind of, you, you present yourself in a different way to these different groups just to mm. get through the day. Yeah. And that's really surprising to, to hear those experiences, particularly, you know, with your example of where you live on the South Coast and San Francisco, as you say, they, they're sort of supposed to be communities where the LGBTQ plus community is fully embraced. So it, it still occurs. And, you know, sadly, I have similar stories. Um, so where I live, it's, it's a relatively small town. And but my partner and I, we, we will walk around town holding hands together. Um, we're really proud to be a couple and uh, you know even just last week we experienced something so we were walking through town and there was somebody cycling past on their bicycle um, and you know swore at us uh, saying that we were using the f word again it seems to be the, the word of uh, preference uh, when abuse is hurled at us and um, yeah shouting obscenities across the street in a really loud voice to the point where other people stopped and looked no one challenged no one said anything no one stepped in of course but uh, yeah, we had that. Um, plenty of experiences, again, where we're walking hand in hand, uh, people rolling down the windows of their cars and shouting words at us. And it, it's just the sort of day-to-day -day stuff that 
you kind of expected to absorb and just deal with. And it's the kind of behavior that, you know, if you were a heterosexual couple walking down the street holding hands, I don't think anyone's going to challenge you on that. And so, it, you know, it, it does bite a bit, doesn't it? Um, and then I suppose it goes even more subtle than that. As my partner and I walk through our town holding hands, we often comment and talk to each other about the fact that pretty much everyone who walks past us looks at us. We get stares because it's two men holding hands. Now, sometimes it's curiosity. Sometimes you can see it's people just kind of processing it, trying to work it out. Uh, sometimes it's a really friendly, warm look that we get. Other times it's quite a hostile look that you get. But it's that constant feeling of, I can't quite feel fully relaxed because I know that we're being watched. People are looking, people are staring. So there's that nuance. And if I put it into the workplace sphere as well, unfortunately I have experienced bullying in the workplace that was quite, you know, there were microaggressions again. It wasn't overt, but uh, someone in a firm I worked at didn't want me to progress. They didn't want me to thrive. They didn't want me to do well because they didn't agree with my sexual orientation. So it's still there. It still exists, unfortunately. Yes, there's been huge progress made, but I think there is a lot more that the world, the UK community and the broader world needs to be doing to really embrace the LGBTQ plus community. So we're in agreement here. There's more work to be done, but let's focus on employers. So what can employers do that's beyond Pride Month to, to show true solidarity within the community? Um, yeah, I was giving this some thought before a call. I think there's, there's so much that can be done. I think first and foremost, it has to start with education, mm. uh, training, learning more about what your LGBT plus employees are going through, uh, what the community, what it's like to be a member of this community, what it feels like to experience these day-to-day -day microaggressions that we're talking about. Yeah. Um, and just stay close to them, stay connected, understand that it's again, just beyond one month in the year where we all hold hands and wear rainbows. Um, so education and training is number one for me. I think um, things like, you know, from recruitment through to promotion, onboarding training, unconscious bias training, inclusive language training, um, helping people to understand how powerful language is and how misgendering someone or misusing somebody's pronouns can have a huge impact. Also, from an LGB perspective, myself included, I, I've lost count of the amount of times over the years on client lunches or drinks or anything like that, where you're getting to know a client on a personal level and they ask, so what does your wife do? Mm. Yeah, I've had that a lot. You have to come out. You're effectively coming out all the time, all over again, all so the time. Yeah. The and then you think, well, this is a client relationship. So how far mm -hmm. could this go? What if I get that look of hostility and yeah. damaging the relationship? Are they going to be totally fine with it and not care? Luckily, I've always been met with with them um, kind of a comforting stare as opposed to a hostile. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so there's that. Then in terms of going beyond pride, I think um, put your money where your mouth is. You know, it costs a lot to advertise in Pride Month. It costs a lot to advertise on the Pride Parade, for example. So put some of that money into longer term advertising, maybe introduce same sex couples into some of your TV advertising or social media branding that you're doing throughout the year, make it more inclusive throughout the year. Um, maybe take some of that money and make a public statement that you're going to be investing in some kind of education for organizations or charities that can't quite afford it themselves so that kids are learning about the differences that exist in the world from an early age so that we become more inclusive and we don't hear stories, horrifying stories like the one that came out a couple of years ago where those two young women who were a couple were beaten up on the bus. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. For being yeah. a couple and not kissing in front of this gang of lads yeah um, 
that's horrific. And that was 2019, London, you know, this shouldn't be happening. So education again falls into that. I think um, little things at work, once we get back into workplaces, hopefully, things like having ally groups, maybe stick ally stickers on the back of your chair, on your laptop, in communal areas, just to let people know I'm an ally and I'm here and I stand with you. Um, and and uh, groups within the organization as well. If it's a large organization, of course, you'd expect this to be already happening. If it isn't, even if you're small, this too should be happening. So um, an ally, ally group, like I say, or an LGBT plus group that comes together to have year round visibility and to have that kind of communal voice as well. I think the other thing organizations can do is in terms of their recruitment, um, you know, if they're seen visibly to be an employer who celebrates diversity, that's going to attract talent and retain talent within the organization. Um, there's a, a recent network I became a member of called My G Work. I should send you the link actually. And it's specifically, it's almost like a LinkedIn for LGBTQ plus um, people. And it's, it's, uh, it's interesting to have a look at who's on there in terms of some of the organizations, some of the very senior leaders that are in there as well. So that's a growing thinking process. And then also just around policies and benefits. What does that look like for your um, LGBT plus employees? Are we including same sex spousal benefits, for example? Um, is family leave policy the same for mm. those types of parents? Maybe like yourself, when you adopted, what kind of leave was provided? Um, things like health insurance, does it cover hormone treatment, for example, if somebody's transitioning, does it cover transitioning full stop, gender reassignment? Yeah. All of these things need to be looked at. Um, and I think businesses can do it better um, and this is going beyond that pride month let me say yeah absolutely i mean there's something interesting that you said there as well was was around the language and the demystifying and understanding what what the correct language is and it is a moving feast all of the time isn't it the language is constantly evolving constantly changing i think there is a huge education piece around that and people often say to me oh i don't know what to say anymore i don't know how to refer to this individual what's the right word and i'm too scared i'm too worried i'm going to get it wrong and this is where people just need to be much braver and, and, and ask the question, you know, uh, not have that fear of getting it wrong. I think by saying nothing at all, by not addressing it, that's far worse than just saying, well, how, how would you like me to refer? What, what pronoun would you like me to use, for example? Uh, so big piece around education. And I think the other piece that really resonated with me, Mark, was the storytelling. Uh, I think that's what employers need to encourage a lot more of. That personal storytelling, it's so powerful. So understanding what it truly is like for someone in the LGBTQ plus community to work in that environment. What does it look like? What kind of microaggressions have people experienced? What, what does it look like from their shoes? And there are a number of key ambassadors that I think are already really visible within their field. And that's really paving the way for very powerful storytelling. We need more of it. But for example, Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, he came out in 2014. He was the first Fortune 500 CEO to come out. And that's 2014. Why did it take someone so long to come out? But uh, it's great that it's happened and it's really visible. It's really powerful. Uh, Inga Beale, she was the former CEO of Lloyd's of London. We've got R. Martin Chavez. He's the vice chairman and co-head of the securities division at Goldman Sachs. Uh, David Heinen, he's in uh, Bupa Global and UK. He's the CEO there. We need, more fig we need more visibility, more figures, more storytelling, more ambassadors within organizations. And I think conversations need to happen internally to encourage that. 
because it's well and good saying, well, let's have some ambassadors, but people are only going to do it and give true story storytelling if they feel safe enough to do that. Yeah. I, I mean, do you, I've talked about a few people there, a few really visible people, but do you know of any organisations that are modelling this really well? Yes, there's a few out there. And I just want to pick up on one point you said there about storytelling. We talk in, in the mental health space where I train and work, we, we talk about storytelling a lot. It's very, very powerful, especially from a mental health perspective. If somebody was to share their story, especially if they're in quite a senior, powerful position, um, that message cascades down the hill a lot quicker and reaches a lot more people and gives the green light to so many people to say, okay, I have a story too, and I'm, I'm going to talk and I'm going to share it. Um, because everything within the mental health space, in my opinion, is about conversation. If we can have better conversations, we open up, we talk, we share, we listen, we can start to signpost and get people the help they need, but it starts with that one story. Um, from a mental health perspective, I think the stats speak for themselves as well. When we think about this community, the LGBTQ plus community, if you think about anyone growing up at a young age, as we said, our younger selves, we're under a great deal of pressure and stress from a very, very young age. It kind of makes you grow up quickly. But you That's know what stress is like at the age of six, seven, eight years of age. And you're, you're moving through that. You're growing up with it. And then for some people, it can continue well into adult life. Mm. And this translates into some of the stats I pulled out recently. Stonewall, their most recent study on the impact of COVID, I suppose, played a part. But mental health stats around LGBT+, more than half of LGBTQ+, people have experienced depression this past year that's more than half and three in five of us have had anxiety now again covid may well be playing a part in here but these stats go way back for many years mm. and, and those stats those stats are higher aren't they than uh, than the usual statistics oh yeah absolutely mm. one in eight people um, aged 18 to 24 have actually attempted suicide this past year that's 18 to 24 year olds who fall within that category of LGBTQ plus and almost half of trans people thought about suicide. So, you know, those stats are quite powerful and not, mm. not to shy away from, but just to add some kind of kudos to what you're saying, storytelling, mental health, it links it all together. In terms of organizations doing this well, um, there's definitely a few out there that, that, that deserve a lot of kudos for this. I mentioned, um, that my G work was a, a network that I've recently joined and some of the organizations that popped up there, I started to research into. Um, Clifford Chance, for example, seemed to be doing a lot of work in this space and doing it well. Linklasers, they're a multinational law firm, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, they've done something, they introduced something a couple of years ago called reverse mentorship. And this is where they're having their senior leaders being mentored by people from the LGBT plus community, as well as people from other ethnic backgrounds or other social backgrounds. Um, and it's, it's, it's in reverse, but apparently it's working really, really well. It's quite powerful. Um, the, the, the stats are saying that it's effective and it's something that they've continued to run with and work with. Right. So um, again, Stonewall's top 100 employers from 2020 included names like Clifford Chance, Barclays and Macquarie, but also some more probably more household names, I guess. Channel 4, Sainsbury, Sky UK, all featured in this top 100. And then just yesterday, I guess it's tying in with the end of the close of, of Pride Month, um, Investment Week, if you have a look on there, they've partnered with a new organisation called LGBT Greats, and they've pulled out for the first time their top 100 allies. So these are top executives 
who stand again shoulder to shoulder with the community in a sustainable way. It goes way beyond just Pride Month. Yeah. Um, and within that list, you've got names such as Legal and General. They kept appearing uh, over and over. BNP Paribas, Northern Trust, Handles Banking. Again, I'm really proud to say a lot of these organizations are organizations that we work with here at Berndine as well. Um, so what about yourself, Rich? I mean, in terms of, you know, we've looked at some things that organizations can do. We've talked about some of the organizations who are doing it well. Anything else that you would add to that? Oh, yeah, I, I just, you know, picking up on a couple of the, the stats that you were just talking about there. And, and, you know, I want to focus on to the trans community for a moment because, you know, you mentioned one of the statistics there around uh, suicide. Almost half of trans people in Britain have attempted suicide at least once. I mean, that's a scary statistic. Uh, and there's a few more that we can add to that. So again, recent Stonewall research, uh, two in five. So over 40% of trans people have been attacked or threatened with violence in the last five years. So physical uh, safety at risk there. More than half of trans people have experienced negative comments or behavior at work because of being trans. One in four trans people have been discriminated at work against at work. So we're talking about the LGBTQ plus community, but I think it goes broader than that. This is also embracing the trans community. There is so much we can do here. And for me, it really does come back to this idea of demystifying, using that storytelling. We've got all these other great things. I mean, the reverse mentoring scheme sounds fantastic. The ally schemes always work really well. There's lots of, of things like that they can do. But a lot of this for me is about making sure the conversation continues. It's not just a conversation that is confined to Pride Month. That conversation has to come throughout the year. Let's debunk all of the myths. Let's find the right language to use so that we can have good, open, transparent conversations with each other. Let's challenge each other on those microaggressions, those micro behaviors. Let's think about how we can do that in a positive way, in a way that creates safety for everyone, not just for the LGBTQ plus community, but for everybody in the workplace. That's ultimately what employers need to achieve. So I think there is a lot that we can be doing here. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, well, look, I think um, we'll, we'll close this off now. and. Uh, I think to round things off, just to say from, from our perspective, both Richard and I are very passionate about this, as are most of our colleagues, all of our colleagues, in fact, who train and facilitate at Berndine. Uh, we love having conversations about this stuff and we can help you and your organization to have better conversations, whether it's from a diversity and inclusion perspective or um, going down the mental health route or everything joined up together as one so please do reach out if you feel the need uh, you can contact us go to our website which is uh, www.burndean.com or you can dial 0203 695 to speak with one of the lovely team here at Burndean or hop on LinkedIn and find us on there um, we're always happy to have a, a friendly informal chat so thank you so much thank you Richard and uh, thanks Mark take care bye-bye